Next, this month's special series focus on disaster medicine and preparedness. Unforeseen disasters carry unique challenges and learning opportunities. This month, we present conversations that scrutinize our plans and protocols and ask, how prepared are we? How will we react? Many of us remember the chemical disaster that occurred in Bhopal, India in December of 1984, 25 years after what many call the world's worst industrial disaster, Estimates suggest more than 100,000 people, including children of survivors of the initial disaster, still suffer illnesses that are linked to the ongoing tragedy. One Health Clinic in Bhopal provides medical care to those affected by this tragedy, offering them hope for a better, healthier future. You're listening to ReachMD on XM160, the channel for medical professionals, and I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, your host. My guest today is Mr. Satyu Sarangi, Managing Director of the Sambhavna Trust Clinic in Bhopal, India. The clinic provides free medical care to survivors of the Bhopal gas disaster that occurred in 1984 and ongoing related water contamination issues that still exist in Bhopal. Mr. Sarangi, thank you for coming in today. Thank you, Dr. Gaskell. Well, I'd like to start with going back in time a little bit to 1984. Can you tell us exactly what happened then? It happened in Bhopal, which is the capital city of one of the largest states in India. And there was this pesticide plant that was owned and designed and operated by an American company called Union Carbide. So one night on the 2nd of 3rd December 1984, during routine operations, water entered this tank containing methyl isocyanate. And because their safety systems were lax, because their design was hazardous, and because, most importantly, it was located right next to populated settlements, when the twi- more over 27 tons of methyl isocyanate and other toxic gases leaked in the middle of the night, and it went o- co- covered the entire old city of Bhopal, exposing more than half a million people to the deadly gas. So what happened initially? How many people actually died as a result of that that release? An estimated more than 8,000 people died within the first 72 hours, but many more died in the subsequent years. Total death toll is over 25,000 now. What was the cause of death, let's say, a week or two later? What kind of results were from that initial exposure? Because methyl isocyanate is a a pulmonary irritant, so many of the people actually drowned in their own body fluids because of the secretions in the lung that failed. So many of the deaths occurred because of that. Deaths also occurred because of the effect on the brain, and there were spontaneous abortions were sky high. So initial deaths were because of that. And it's also possibly because of exposure to hydrogen cyanide, which was also produced because methyl isocyanate was released at high temperature. And what kind of medical support was available at that time to deal with such a catastrophic insult to the community? The biggest problem was there was no information on what gases had leaked and what could be done about them. And what the information that the government doctors got from the plant medical officer was that, oh, don't worry, it's just like potent tear gas and you can wash with water and it'll go. But that didn't work. So in the early days and throughout several months, actually, people knew very little about what to do and doctors did not know how to treat. So it was just symptomatic treatment. And what brought you to the area? Were you living there or did you just hear about this and decided that you needed to to do something? 
I heard about it on the radio and at that time I was doing my PhD in engineering in Varanasi so and I thought that I would come to go to Bhopal and probably help with the relief work for about a week uh-huh. a week a week uh, turned out to be a little longer <laughs> yes it has turned out more than 24 years now what have you created there over the last 25 years tell me a little bit about the clinic we have the sambhavna trust clinic in which there are 23000 people who were exposed to the gas and who were exposed to contaminated groundwater who receive care there and we provide medical care through modern medicine and ayurveda which is the indigenous system of healing based on herbs and yoga care and in addition to medical care we also do work in the community community health work our seven community health workers train and equip and inspire health volunteers in the communities to carry out cervical cancer screening tb control malaria control and we also do research on the long term impact of the toxic exposure both due to gas and due to contaminated water and we also do research to find out the efficacy of the treatments that we are offering we do documentation work and collect information on all aspects legal medical scientific we grow herbs in our clinic and more than 100 kinds of medicinal plants and also manufacture medicines from that how do you pay for all this all the funds that we need to run the clinic it comes through individual donations and small donations by a large number of people and what about the people that are responsible for this to exist has there been any money paid for by union carbide which i i don't even know if they exist anymore i think they were gobbled up by another company do they contribute at all or do they are they hands off Union Carbide is hands off they paid a very paltry amount as settlement which was only 470 million dollars for more than half a million people so it came to about 500 dollars per person and the Union Carbide does exist as an entity and it's a wholly owned subsidiary of the Dow Chemical Company and as we understand by the principles of polluter pays and principle of successor liability Dow should be liable for this but they refuse to take any responsibility If you've just joined us you're listening to ReachMD XM160 the channel for medical professionals I'm Dr. Larry Caskell your host I'm joined today in studio by Mr. Satyu Sarangi who's the managing director of the Sambhavna Trust Clinic in Bhopal India and we're talking about the medical problems of the Bhopal gas disaster that occurred in 1984 and continues to be a problem for the citizens of Bhopal today Mr. Sarangi um I assume there's an established healthcare system in Bhopal What do they do and how do you differ do you pretty much kind of fill in the gap for what they do not do The government has spent considerable amount of money on establishing a healthcare system but the problem is till today because information on the gas and its effect is still being withheld by the corporation the government doctors providing only symptomatic treatment even today and because there are no treatment protocols there is uh, indiscriminate prescription of and the antibiotics and steroids and psychotropic drugs and painkillers and we have found often times that these medicines are actually often compounding the injuries caused by the disaster so let's say a physician's listening to the show and they want to help out with their own help they want to go and physically help out what could they do they could come to visit sambhavna for a minimum period of 15 days and get more information on volunteering at our website which is www.bopal.org 
Bhopal is B-H-O-P-A-L. And or they could help us, if they cannot come to Bhopal, they could help us here by, again, going to a website and sending donations or sending equipment that they could spare, that we are really happy to use secondhand equipment. What do you most need? Because if someone's listening and they may have a spare oximeter sitting around, they may want to ship it off to you. So what, what are you urgently in need of and would love to have? We'd love to have a ultrasonography machine or EKG machines. And we'd love to have mercury-free equipment if, if, if people can donate. We also do community health work. So if there are people using or have equipment to spare on stadiometers, we want to set up, a which, which we should have done long back, we want to set up a facility for ophthalmic care. So if people have auto-refs or slit lamps, those would be also very, very useful. So what are you seeing now in the kids that are growing up now? What kind of problems are they coming up with that you can pretty much say are as a direct cause from their exposure as a child? If you're talking of the next generation children, what we find very common, and this is something that we have studied and published in the Journal of American Medical Association, is that they have growth defects, that their physical growth and also their mental development retardation. And this is very common. But we also find a range of birth defects, both among the children of the gas-affected people and children of the people who have been affected due to groundwater contamination. So we find cleft lip, missing palate, fused fingers, twisted limbs, a large number of children with brain damage who are not able to look after themselves. And then going beyond even the physical problems they experience, I imagine there's some cultural problems that might exist in India in terms of marrying into certain families. So what, what kind of problems do they have there? It's like the, the victims of in Hiroshima who, who had where people won't marry, other people won't marry thinking that they would not be able to produce children or that the husbands would have to spend time just looking after his bride. Mr. Sarangi, how does it work practically day to day if a patient wants to come to your clinic? Do they come in and, and have to prove somehow that they were exposed to the gases or just by living in the area are they allowed to, to receive care from your clinic? Uh, no, uh, the clinic is exclusively for those exposed to Indian carbides poisons. And every day we have 150 to 180 people coming. Wow, it's a lot of, that's a busy clinic. Yeah, and they show documents to show that they were being exposed. Or uh, if they don't have the documents for some reason, then we take their information from their neighbors. And do they speak English for a doctor that wants to come there and, uh, and volunteer? Or is there a native language and there are translators in the clinic? Yeah, but half of our staff of 45, they do speak English. and But most of the patients speak Hindi, but we have our own staff members volunteering as translators. And what kind of studies are you working on going forward? What type of research? Could you tell me a little bit more about that? As I said, we have carried out research on the effects on the next generation. We have carried research on the how yoga can help to people with uh, respiratory disorders. And currently, there are two ongoing research projects in our clinic. One is house-to-house survey of 25,000 families And this is focused on finding out about birth defects and diagnosed cancers. And we also have another clinical study to find out how yoga can help in in relation to other ways of treating mostly painkillers to women with dysmenorrhea because we find that too many women have, young women are complaining of dysmenorrhea. 
And can you tell me a little bit more about the the different herbs that you're growing and what you've discovered that these herbs are actually helping specific conditions? We find that plants like vasa and tulsi are very good for breathing problems and respiratory problems. We find that ashwagandha, which means smell of horses, and the roots of ashwagandha we find are very, very good for immune boosting. And this is one plant we use a lot. Then we have Arjuna, which is a tree, and we use the bark that is used for um, heart problems. For gynecological problems, there is a range of medicines that we grow. Shatavari or asparagus is one, but we also grow aloe vera and chui mui. Uh, I do not know the botanical name right now. So all, all these plants are specifically for gynecological problems. And then if we could circle back a little bit, again, if a physician is interested and just tuned in and wants to participate, where can he learn more about your organization and, and what can he do to help personally? Our information on our organization is up there on www.bopal.org. And we also have a section on people who want to volunteer. And doctors can either visit Bhopal for a minimum period of 15 days and offer their services either as clinicians or in community research or in developing educational material. So there's a range of possibilities. And they can write to me at my email ID, which is satyu at gmail.com. Satyu is S-A-T-H-Y-U at gmail.com. Also, doctors and others can donate money to the running of the clinic because that's the way we run our clinic or donate equipment, as I said. And we have the list of equipments that we badly need out there on our website. And we talked earlier about liability, that it's kind of still unresolved. Are there court cases that are still going on in the United States? Do you expect anything to happen or do you think it'll just stay in the courts for years and years and and these people will be forgotten. Yes, there is an ongoing court case in the federal court in New York, and that's been going on since 1999. But unfortunately, so far, the the case was dismissed thrice by the judge, and all three times we have appealed to the Second Circuit Court of Appeal and have succeeded. So it is still ongoing, and unfortunately, there's been not much uh, resolution in that. There's also cases going on in Bhopal, in India, in which the Indian government has sought $22 million from Dow Chemical for, as an advance for the cleanup of the toxic waste. But Dow refuses to accept any kind of liability. Well, on that note, Mr. Satyu Sarangi, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Dr. Gasco. I've been talking with Mr. Satyu Sarangi about the Sabavna Trust Clinic in Bhopal, India. Mr. Sarangi has been working in this clinic for about 25 years, providing medical care to the survivors of the Bhopal gas disaster. And congratulations on the work you've done there. Thank you, Dr. Gasco. I'm Dr. Larry Casco. You've been listening to ReachMD XM 160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, and thanks for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Disaster Medicine and Preparedness. For a program guide and complete list of shows, please visit us at ReachMD.com.